Hello, hello. Greetings from Hear Her Sports. I am your host and producer, Elizabeth Emery. I am back with another great episode with another great woman. This week, I'm talking to Raquel Velez, an entrepreneur with big, big visions. Roughly a year ago, Raquel launched Alpine Parrot, an outdoor apparel company designing specifically for women's sizes 14 through 24. Her goals are amazing, as is the story of how she started and developed the company. I reached out to Raquel because I strongly believe that proper fitting, high quality clothing, gear and equipment is far more important than most people think. A woman's love of a sport and desire to continue and ability to progress is tied to being appropriately outfitted to excel and to be safe. Alpine Parrot is all about that. And Raquel shared the experiences she's had with her customers and fit models. We also talk about her own entry into sport as well as how she meticulously prepared to start Alpine Parrot because clothing wasn't really in her wheelhouse. Some of the other Hear Her Sports episodes that at least partially talk about clothing or equipment are episode 99 with triathlete Khadija Diggs, a fast track with custom bike builder Julie Petalino, episode 67 with motocrosser Aline Metz, episode 62 with swimwear designer Sensi Graves, and episode 58 with snowboard designer Jen Gorecki. Find all of these at hearhersports.com or on any podcast player. And links to all these episodes are in the show notes. Before we get going, just a small final note in these days when, once again, the world seems to be falling apart. Please, please take care of yourself. Eat well, rest, and get outside. Well, enough of that. Let's get on to meeting Raquel. Raquel Velez is the founder and CEO of Alpine Parrot, an outdoor apparel company that caters specifically to people of size and people of color. She brings with her almost two decades of engineering experience. She received her degree in mechanical engineering from Caltech, worked and studied as a robotics engineer, and eventually shifted over to software engineering and engineering management. Now, as an apparel engineer, She's tackling one of the oldest and most polluting industries by creating sustainable, inclusive clothing for a market of people that has so often been neglected in the outdoor space. As a plus-size Latina who discovered her love of the outdoors later in life, Raquel has put an incredible amount of careful consideration into the design of each product, focusing on great fit and quality construction. Raquel, I am super, super excited to have you here. I love talking about clothes and think it is such an important topic for all women to have the clothes that they really should have. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. And I also love talking about clothes, even though I was definitely not a fashionista as a kid. You know, like I was like, clothes are silly. I just need to cover my body. And now it's turned into this like massive obsession. (laughs) That's cool. That's super cool. I just read your bio, so we know a little bit about you and about Alpine Parrot, but I'd love to hear more about that moment that you started to make these clothes and to make pants. And for me, there are two aspects of this. There's that first point of recognizing that, you know, like you're okay, it's the pants companies that aren't okay and they're not making clothes that are fitting everybody. And then there's the second aspect of it, which is just the sort of down and dirty logistics of starting a clothing company. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh. We have many things to discuss today. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So I want to start by like giving you a little bit of background on me. 
which is to say that I did not grow up in the outdoors. I was not an outdoorsy kid ever. My family is from Puerto Rico, which, you know, one could argue is a very outdoorsy type of place, but there's a difference between this idea of the outdoors is literally the space outside your front door versus, I think, kind of evolution of the outdoors, which is this place that you go when you have a plan and it's like an excursion. Does that make sense? Like it's nuanced difference. But for me, the idea of sleeping on the ground outside on purpose and paying more money to do that than you would at say, you know, a motel simply was not the definition of success for my parents. Sure. Um, and I think for a lot of people who have any sort of poverty in their ancestry, like it wasn't that it was frowned upon. It just wasn't a thing. Um, it just wasn't a thing. And did you hang so, out outside? Not really. I'm extremely arachnophobic. Um, and so <laughs> I really, I, I joke that I spent more time escaping the world through books than through going out into the world until I discovered travel. Yeah, it, it just wasn't really as big of a thing for me. I, I, I just wasn't as happy outside. I think because I just didn't have the exposure and the opportunity that a lot of other kids did. But when I was in my 20s, late 20s, my husband and I moved to California and he was like, I want to go learn how to ski. And I was like, that sounds like a terrible idea. You could die on the mountain. I wouldn't even know. So I should obviously come with you, but we're going to take a lesson. It was like a light switch that went off. I, I absolutely fell in love. I fell in love with skiing, probably because there are no spiders in the snow. Um, <laughs> and, and I just genuinely felt like I was flying. And, and that's a, that's a dream I've had my whole life, right? Like I, I have this recurring dream of flight, uh, like, you know, flying in the air, like Superman. And I, I just had dreams about it for days afterwards. And I was like, I think I found a new sport that I'm absolutely and totally in love with. And wait, so I, I need to yeah. stop. So, so had you done any sports? Prior? I had, yeah, okay. no, I had. Okay. So in high school, I, I played volleyball in elementary school. I played basketball. I wouldn't say I'm not athletic. I just never saw the outdoor. Like I always, I always did it, my athletics inside walls. Right. <laughs> right. If that makes sense. So like inside rooms, I, this idea of being outside. I didn't really swim, even though like I can swim. My family's from an island, so I, right. I learned how to swim. But um, yeah, it, it's just being outside. I was like, why would I do that when I could be inside reading a book or playing sports with my friends. I don't know. It was it was just a very interesting thing. So what was the hook of the skiing? Like literally it was the flying. Really? <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> That's literally it. And I have skied every single season since then and you know, gotten better and better and better. Were you good right away? No. <laughs> it was terrible. <laughs> Are you kidding? Like I pizza and French fried my way down the little bunny slope and I was like, oh my God. Um, and I remember after our first little lesson, we decided, okay, we've got this. We should just take the lift and immediately come down. And it was snowing so hard. And and my husband and I fly down and like if you if you know about skiing, like there's there's the wedge Christie, which is we call it pizza and french fry with the kids. And so I pizzaed my way down this thing and my husband, like he goes ahead of me and then he crashes and I look at him and I go, oh no, he's down. But then I just start screaming, I can't stop. And I just keep flying. 
<laughs> and then I run into like the snowbank, and my husband says that afterwards he looked, and all I could see was me just kind of like, like flying past. I can't stop. And then almost like a Looney Tunes cartoon, there was just this like mushroom cloud of snow <laughs> as I crashed into the snowbank. And I just, I was laughing the entire time because it was so fun. It I love was it. just so I love fun. It. Yeah, I, I just, I had such a blast. And the thing is, when you learn a new sport, oftentimes we just use whatever we have available to us, right? Like I didn't go out and like buy skis and all that stuff. Instead, I... It was my first lesson, so I, I read the instructions, right? Like, make sure you wear things that are going to keep you warm and dry. So I wore sweatpants under rain pants, and I wore, like, a hoodie under a raincoat, and then I borrowed or rented everything else. And it was enough for me to go, oh, my goodness, I've discovered the ability to fly. I want to do this again. And I did, I wore the same thing a few more times, but then I was like, I need to actually wear something that fits me, like that's actually for this sport, right? Like I should probably get some snow pants. And I went to my local outdoor specialty store and nothing fit, absolutely nothing fit. And I was like, well, this is silly. So the average American woman is a size 16 or 18. I'm a size 16. I am literally, I would, not, I would never use the word average to describe myself in any other way, but in this particular instance, I am literally average. And yet most outdoor apparel companies stop at a size 14. Maybe they'll stop at a size 12. Sometimes you'll see a 16 or 18, but at least back then, definitely there was nothing past a size 14. I was like, this is kind of ridiculous. And looking back, uh, it turns out the same weekend I learned how to ski, I also learned how to sew <laughs> because as it says in my bio, I got my, my degree in mechanical engineering. And the reason I got my degree in mechanical engineering is because it's like arts and crafts, but with big machines. And I'm a very crafty person, but I had never learned how to sew because in middle school, I was very privileged. I went to a very cool middle school where I had the option of taking either home ec where you learn how to sew or wood shop. And so I chose wood shop because I liked the big machines. And so I just never learned how to sew. And being a software in the software industry, I got really tired of not being able to use my hands to build things. And I also really hated buying jeans. And I'm the type of person who's like, well, how hard could it be to make your own jeans? I'll just learn how to do that. And so I started with a pillow making class. At the end of that class, I remember going to the teacher and saying, cool, so I'm gonna make jeans now. And she just looked at me like, Good luck with that. <laughs> All of this to say that I learned how to sew. It's not as easy as one might think, shocker, to learn how to sew and then immediately start making clothes for yourself. Um, because, and we can get into this more deeply, but when you buy a pattern from say, you know, Joann's or wherever online, the pattern still needs to be altered because the vision of the person wearing that pattern that the designer had in mind might not necessarily match your body shape. And so now you have to alter that pattern before you can even make it. And I got very frustrated with that. And it turns out that there is this really wonderful pattern making school, literally three blocks away from my place of work. Um, and they had night classes. So I went and learned how to make my own patterns. And then at that class, it was actually a course. It was like a multi-year course of 
making your own patterns. And first of all, making your own patterns and learning to make clothes that fit your body is a revelation, an absolute revelation. I think a lot of us spend our entire lives thinking that ill-fitting clothes are just the way that the world works and we just have to suck it up and deal. When you actually put on something that was made for your body, it is like freedom in clothing form. And for the first time, I didn't have to be sitting there feeling like I'm uncomfortable and I need to like, you have to almost spend some of your brain cycles wondering, is this chafing? Is this like, I, I don't feel good in my own skin and, and you don't participate in the world at a hundred percent. And when you finally don't have to worry about your clothes anymore, it's like the whole world has suddenly opened up to you. And that sounds kind of egregious and, and overstated, but it really isn't. It, it genuinely is that powerful to have clothes that actually fit you. I'd agree with you. I, I actually sew. And oh, awesome. when I started to sew, I realized that, you know, all those years that I spent like hiking up the rear of my pants wasn't necessary. It's actually exactly. possible to make pants for me that I don't have to be hiking up all day. Yes, 100%. Exactly. Exactly. And, and, and it, it, it was a game changer for me again. And so as part of this course, there were multiple classes. And one of the classes I took was on the history of fashion and brand development or something like that. And the idea was that at the end of the class, you present an eight piece line for this company that you've just made up um, and you have a target market and you know various things that are just kind of fun, but to give you a, a starting point on how do brands even and I developed a, uh, an eight piece ski wear line specifically for plus size women. And afterwards, my teacher pulled me aside and she said, you've got to do this. <laughs> and I was like, I don't, I don't think so. Cause I'm a software engineer, um, or actually I was an engineering manager at the time. I'm making good money here in this awful tech uh, industry. And why would I want to give that up? And she was like, well, just think about it. And a few months later, I was, I was in New Zealand and I was speaking at a tech conference and I was so tired. I was so tired and all I wanted to do was go outside. And I just looked at my husband and I said, I think I want to quit it all and go make pants. <laughs> <laughs> and he looked at me and he goes, okay. And I mean, he's the most supportive person in the entire world. And within a few months, I started Alpine Parrot. And then a few months after that, I put in my notice at work. And a month later, in February of 2020, I went all in and was a full-time Alpine Parrot CEO. And then six weeks later, the entire world shut down. So, you know, it's, Perfect. it's been a fun ride. <laughs> <laughs> You know, one of the things I wanted to say was that I know that you're only making plus size, you know, 14 and up. All athletic wear seems to me to be made for a, a very particular shape. You know, I referenced having to hike up the rear of my pants. I happen to have a big thigh hip area and I often don't fit in athletic wear. Yeah. So you're addressing a market, yes, plus size, but also different size that not yes. everyone is shaped the same. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So this is where my engineering 
background really came into play. I found that, so, okay, let me back up for a second. So it's the beginning of the pandemic and I recognized, like, so I decided I've already all in, I've quit my job and it's time to see if I can make this idea work. And to step back a moment in how apparel is made, right? Brands have a designer. The designer has this person in mind. They have this idealized human who will be wearing that brand's clothing. And usually that person is the brand's medium. And then what they do is they take this person, and it's an actual physical human being with certain measurements, and they take those measurements and they create a pattern that fits that person perfectly. And then they algorithmically define the other sizes. And the way that they do that is imagine taking the pattern, making a huge grid on it, and then cutting along the lines of that, of that grid and spreading out the pieces to make the larger sizes and overlapping the pieces to make the smaller sizes. And the algorithm is really just how, how much spacing is there between all the different pieces. And that defines the spacing between the different sizes. And so that person that they had in mind in the beginning, that's their fit model. And usually you go up to them physically in person and you're, you're putting clothes on them and you're pinching things out and you're tearing things up and you're within six feet, uh, which I really couldn't do <laughs> at the very beginning of the pandemic. There was no idea of masks or like everybody had all of the, the hand sanitizer, but this was before we understood that masks were gonna be the right thing to do. So I became my own fit model and I'm, I'm shaped like you. Uh, I, have, I have bigger hips and thighs and, and kind of a smaller waist, relatively speaking. And so I made a pattern that fit me perfectly. And then I went ahead and, and algorithmically defined the other sizes. And then I went out and by that point, we knew enough that we knew that being outside was okay and masks were okay. And I went out and put pants on about 10 different fit testers. Cause I was like, the way that the industry currently works isn't working for us. So I'm gonna just go back to my engineering basics and say, all right, well, let's just test it on lots of different use cases. Not to say that a human is a use case, but in, in engineering speak, that, that's basically where we're at. And I found that some of the people fit in a very similar body shape to me, but others really didn't. And that's when I realized that we needed to have two different fit styles, not just one for folks with the kind of juicier in the button thighs and not so much in the tummy, but also folks who had a little bit more goodness happening in the belly area and maybe not as much in the button thighs. And when I did that, when I made that change, I found that I was more able to fit 80% of the fit testers. I ended up actually taking those two new styles out and put them on 30 people after that just to kind of, I really wanted to make sure that this was gonna fit and this was gonna feel good. And I didn't get 100%, but that's very difficult to do at the mass market level. I would have to do custom otherwise, and that's just not where I'm at right now. Right, so where are you getting these testers and are you sewing up the samples yourself? Great question. So the very first rounds of prototypes, I sewed myself and that was very exhausting, but we did it. Um, I also ended up hiring some help to, to do some of the sewing as well. But then to find the fit testers, honestly, I just went to the internet 
<laughs> and I asked, and it's so interesting because I think if you have a, a smart enough of an idea and if you fill enough of a need, right? And this is a really big need. People will just, they'll find out and they'll tell their friends. And next thing I knew, I had hundreds of people asking if they could be a fit tester. And, wow. um, and I just kind of broke it down to, okay, well, I'm not ready to do all of these people. We decided to do like a road trip because I wasn't comfortable flying at that time. So we drove around the Pacific Northwest and Mountain West and, and found 30 people in those areas who had signed up to be fit testers. And I said, cool, well, here's my rack of clothes. Try some on, see which ones fit. Tell me what you think, you know, taking lots of notes and taking lots of pictures and the whole time staying six feet apart with masks outside. Um, and, and yeah, got lots of really good data and it seems to have worked. <laughs> so I want to go back a little bit to that moment where you're like, I want to make pants. Mm -hmm. So you mentioned that, you know, like you were tired. So I'm sure that was a big factor, but there also had to have been a draw for wanting to make pants. So do you remember a little bit more about that moment and, you know, why you were interested in, in pursuing this? Yeah. So before I started at the most recent tech company that I was working at, I walked in knowing that I, within two years, I was going to start my own company. I didn't really know what it was going to be in yet or what the plan was there, but I, I knew that that was going to happen. I, I think the whole time I was sitting there kind of thinking, okay, what's a cool idea? And, and I don't know about some of the listeners, but when I was a kid, I remember thinking to myself, like, I'm going to come up with this really great idea. No one will have done it before. And then as you get older, you're like, every single thing that could be thought of has already been done. Like, you know, you see these cool gadgets and you're like, oh, I had that idea, but someone already did it. And then when I kind of stepped into this space of plus size outdoor apparel, I looked around and I was like, no, really, someone must have done this already, but they hadn't. And I kept looking and no, but seriously, someone must have done this already. Surely one of the big brands is going to do it. And they didn't. And I, I had this wonderful conversation with my husband and he was like, why you? Like, why not? Why don't we just give money to someone else to do it? And I was like, I don't know. I guess we could do that. But there's something about building this company and engaging in this community that feels right to me. And so it was just this constant back and forth and back and forth. I mean, it wasn't as light switchy for me saying, okay, that's it. I give up. I'm going, I'm going to go do this thing. It was, it was really a, a process over time, several months of having this, my teacher's voice in the back of my head, like, you've got to do this. And she said to me, you will serve this market well because you are this market. And I think that that really kind of solidified it for me, just hearing that notion of no one else can do this as well as you can because no one else understands the needs of this market as well as you do and has the experience and the expertise to be able to make it happen. And I'm sure that that's, that's not entirely true. I know plenty of other folks who are building brands just like this one, but they have their own slant to it, of course. 
yeah, I, I felt like if not me, then who? And I right. couldn't find the who. <laughs> so it had to be me. <laughs> right. Did you have any moments of doubt when you were sort of putting the company together? And, and again, going back to that nitty gritty question of like, you know, you don't build a company of the size that I gather that you want to make Alpine Parrot, mm -hmm. you know, in your living room. You might start that place, but right. you got to build it up. Oh, absolutely. And let me tell you, the doubt happens constantly. Even to this day, there are moments where I think to myself, I could be making a lot more money right now. I could have health insurance right now. <laughs> I could have a team of people doing, you know, someone else's, someone else could be making all the decisions. And it can be very daunting and very scary. I remember the first time I paid for an order of fabric because it's not like going to the fabric store and ordering a couple of yards. You're actually talking to a mill and saying, I need 50 yards of fabric, which at the time was terrifying to me, right? 50 yards of fabric, that's gonna make 25 pairs of pants. And what if it doesn't work? What if nobody likes them? What if, what if I had made a horrible, horrible mistake in my construction and in my pattern? Because I, I made the patterns, I did the construction, I did all of it at first. You have to have a lot of faith in your abilities, almost to megalomaniac style of faith in yourself, which was not the way I was raised. It was very much raised to be humble. <laughs> so of course I'm sitting there going, I don't know if this is a good idea. And yeah, and, and to be quite frank, I do not intend for Alpine Parrot to be a cottage brand. I intend for it to be a brand that you can find in stores that you walk in and you're like, oh yeah, there's Alpine Parrot. Like, there's my brand. Like, it's not just pants. It's shirts and shorts and jackets. And honestly, anything that the big brands currently make, but don't make in our sizes, we're going to do that. That's, that's part of the plan. But it's also, it's expensive in so many different ways, not just in money, but also in emotion and uh, blood, sweat, tears and confidence. Because there are things that raise my confidence up and there are things that bring my confidence down real fast. <laughs> the whole supply chain thing, you're like, really should i this was but there was no way i could have known there was no way that i could have known that six weeks after i started the entire world was going to shut down and then you know a year later a ship was going to get stuck in a canal and <laughs> everything was just going <laughs> to fall apart right like right wow so it's it's hard but it's worth it I think it's funny that you mentioned ordering 50 yards of fabric because not only are you not going to Joanne's to buy that 50 yards, that 50 yards arrives to you on a roll that weighs a lot. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And then you have to put it somewhere. It, yeah, exactly. Exactly. And then the best slash worst part, it worked. Now I need to buy 150 yards of fabric or 300 <laughs> yards of fabric right. or I literally just put in an order for 2,500 yards of fabric. So <laughs> like if it works, it really works. And now you're suddenly in this space of, oh snap, it's working. What do I do now? <laughs> there, there's no guidebook. <laughs> so where are you working now? Like what's the physical space? So I'm currently in the basement of my house and I have, I have sewing machines and cutting tables um, in another part of my basement, 
but I barely ever work in there anymore. We're working with a factory in Honduras. They're a RAP certified factory, which basically comes down to they're ethical and sustainable and everybody's treated appropriately and all of those good things. They're the ones who are now making my pants because oh, I, uh, I, <laughs> I imagine 2,500 yards coming to your basement. Yeah, no, let's not imagine that because that would have been too much. I've, yeah. I've seen pictures of the pallets and I'd be like, nope, mm -mm, mm -mm, mm -mm. when I ordered 150 yards, that was, that was my breaking point. I was like, and we're done. <laughs> I'm right. not doing this anymore. <laughs> so talk to me about the factory in Honduras and you know, sort of learning about the apparel industry and getting things made bulk. Yeah, definitely. So the biggest thing to mention here is that there are very, very few resources online where you can just kind of look it up and get started. It's not like in the software industry, everything is online, right? Like that kind of sounds almost overly intuitive, but moving from the software industry into the apparel industry and the apparel industry is one of the oldest industries in human history it's a very different process and you have to know people who know people in order to make anything work sure there are online resources where you can find factories phone numbers and things like that but the really good factories aren't on those resources because they don't have time to put themselves out there they're too busy getting stuff done because their quality of work is so good. And so I actually took multiple courses. I took a course in San Francisco from one woman who for a weekend every month for like six months gave a talk on like different aspects of the fashion industry, the apparel industry and how things are made. What are the different forms that people use? What are the different words people use? And it wasn't enough to walk out super confident like, I got this, I can do this whole thing, but it at least gives you enough information to start asking the right questions. And then I also, there was this amazing program in Albuquerque called the, it was the Albuquerque Fashion Incubator Boot Camp. And basically, I want you to imagine boot camp like, like military boot camp, but for the apparel industry. And it was a weekend, like a long weekend, three or four days this small factory in Albuquerque invited people to come in to learn how an apparel factory works. And it's a nonprofit. And the idea is that a bunch of people come in, they pay some nominal fee that goes towards the purchase of fabric and machine time and utilities and things like that. The end product were winter coats for kids in need, right? So, so you're doing something that's good for the world, but at the same time, we learned everything from how do you spread fabric? What's a marker? How do you sew in an industrial setting? And how is that different from home sewing? How do you do QA? How do you bundle? How do you think through the process of which operations to do and when? And what can you do in parallel? And what has to be done serial? And it was a fascinating and excruciatingly painful experience because we worked from 7 a.m. till 5 p.m every day we had an hour off for lunch but like we really got to feel what is it like to be in a factory that was probably the most influential bit of learning that i did around the apparel industry because it allowed me to really know how does this work 
so that when I talk to factories and they tell me, oh, sorry, we can't do this, I can go, are you sure? Because I'm pretty sure, what if we did it this way? And they go, oh, oh, you know what you're talking about. Okay, <laughs> we can't, we can't pull anything, um, you know, to the side. Not that, not that factories necessarily do that, but sometimes they do. But also they don't look at you like, oh, you're a newbie. You have no idea what you're talking about. We don't have time. A lot of factories won't work with first time entrepreneurs because there's so many things you don't know and, and they just don't have time to teach you. So if you come in with that knowledge already, they're like, oh, okay, we can, maybe this isn't your first rodeo, so we can work with you on this. Hey, if you like what you're hearing, I'd love it if you quickly now send someone you know a text about it. Keep sharing what you learn with all your women friends. Well, that's it for now. Now back to the show. You said that you started in February 2020, mm-hmm. and we're now at February 2022. So all of this learning process and fitting and whatnot happened in two years. Um, no. So fortunately, I did all of that learning before February 2020. Ah, so, okay. okay. Um, yeah. No, I, I, I basically... I started, I technically started my company uh, June 2019. And between June 2019 and February 2020 was when I went to that boot camp, was when I went to my first fabric trade shows, took specific pattern making classes for pants because I knew that pants was going to be the first thing I was going to do, like took a lot of online classes. And then February 2020 was when I started working on the pattern specifically for me and my body, made my first orders for fabric and started doing the fit testing. So really, I'd say it took about a year. So February 2020 to February 2021 for me to perfect the pants and to source everything and feel like, okay, I've got a product. Now let's go ahead and make it. And then in April 2021, I launched my Kickstarter that kind of really set everything off. Yeah, I want to talk about the Kickstarter because it's absolutely incredible. But first, going back to this Honduras place, how did you find them? (laughs) So I laugh because originally I wanted to make my pants in the United States. There's lots of different reasons why someone might want to do that. And I'll tell you mine, which was more than anything else, I wanted to visit the factory. And it was at the beginning of COVID. And travel, flight travel was not an option. And I was in Northern California at the time. And I figured, you know what, I can just drive. I'll drive anywhere in the United States that's willing to take me and we'll make this happen. And I talked to something like 85 different factories around the United States and none of them could do it. Either they couldn't do it at a price point that I needed because no one wants to pay $400 for a pair of hiking pants or they didn't have the machines or they frankly didn't have the skill set to be able to make these rather complex pants, right? They're not leggings. They honestly have about 30 pieces to each pair of pants, which is a lot. That's a lot, Um, yeah. And so I could not make it happen in the US. And so then I thought about, well, I could go to Asia or I could go to Latin America. The major reason why I didn't go with Asia uh, were twofold. One was time zones can make it really difficult to it just takes longer to talk with folks. 
And then the other thing was tariffs and money. It was going to cost me a lot more money to bring things in from Asia than it would have to bring it in from Latin America. Now, that said, I was desperate. I just needed a factory. I got to the point where I was like, I just need someone to help me make these clothes. And this is where the connections really matter. I asked a friend to hook me up and she talked to seven different people. And then one of those people said, oh, I know somebody who might be able to help. And then that person said, oh, I know someone who can probably help. And then that person, right, I'm now like five degrees away. She said, oh, I used to work with this really great factory in Honduras. Let me give you their contact information. Wow. And that's how it happened. I, I'm not even kidding. It's all about the network. And I, I, I promise I tried everything I could to make it in the U.S. and I could not. There are thousands, tens of thousands of factories around the world. It's just a matter of finding a good one that has the expertise and the machinery uh, to do it at a price point that you need them to do it. And right. that's, that's how that happened. <laughs> and, and are they making pants right now? They are literally making pants right now. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so given that, let's talk about the Kickstarter. Sure. I think it's fantastic that you sold out as fast as you you did. Thank you. <laughs> Mostly because it just shows, you know, this is something that was needed. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So tell us some of the details about the Kickstarter because it's a fantastic Sh story. Sure. Yeah. Okay. So like everything, I had massive doubts. I had so many fears. I was like, okay, I'm, I'm going to put this on the internet and we'll see how people react. We set a goal of $10,000 and within three hours, we hit that goal. And then within eight hours, we doubled our goal. And by the end of the 29 days, I think we did, we hit $60,000. And so that worked out pretty well. <laughs> <laughs> um, yep. And I'm sitting there going, oh no. <laughs> and what's really funny is so at the time, I only had two colors of pants. I had green with orange highlights and gray with blue highlights. I, I said on the Kickstarter, if we hit $60,000, I'll add in black. And I kid you not, within, it was like the last 45 minutes, we were at 59,000. I was like, oh, good, good. I don't need... <laughs> I don't need to cross the $60,000 mark because then I have to find more fabric and I have to figure out what color black I'm going to use, what's the highlight color. Good. I don't need to worry about this. Literally in the last 20 minutes, we crossed over 60000 I was like, no. <laughs> but I mean, it's also a good thing because it turns out black is our bestseller, right. which should come as no surprise, but sure. I was very adamantly anti-black uh, <laughs> for as long as <laughs> black the color of pants, obviously. Just because so often people in bigger bodies are told that you have to wear black because it's slimming. And I just, uh, I was like, no, yep. I don't, I'm not going to, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to wear bright colors, but people want black. So now we've got black. <laughs> <laughs> and what has your feedback been? I mean, obviously great feedback. People wanted the pants that, you know, mm -hmm. but once they've gotten them, what has your feedback been? I mean, I'm going to try really hard not to like tear up here, but, um, I mean, there's always like the one or two people who are like, this is not what I expected. No, thank you. But for every one or two of those people, we've had about 10 or 20 people 
who will say things like, I didn't realize I could have pants that actually fit me, or I love these. I had one person who was talking about how she, during the pandemic, her body changed. That happened to a lot of us. And she was finally ready to, this was like last summer when things started to open up a bit more and she was ready to go out and adventure and none of her pants fit. So she went to her local store and tried on a bunch of pants and nothing fit. And she was just in tears and she got home. And I don't know how, how perfect the timing was or what, but the way that she framed it was she got home and her Alpine parrot pants arrived and they fit her perfectly. And now she was crying happy tears, like just just a game changer. You know, um, I, I've had people say like, I can't wait to go outside and be with my kids and feel like I belong too because I actually have pants that fit. You know, it's, it's like, it's so much to the point where I recognize that we're not really an apparel company. We're, we're an opportunities for joy company and we just use apparel as a vehicle for that joy. That means so much more to me then, okay, you know, we're making some money off of some clothes that I made. <laughs> As I mentioned to you in the email and at the beginning of this conversation, having clothes that fit properly for women. And when I say fit properly, because I talk to a lot of, you know, higher level athletes, I also mean, you know, are proper for what they want to do, are of proper quality and all that is so important. And I think often because it's clothing, you know, it's fashion and it's frivolous, the value of the fit, the value of the quality, the value of the consideration is not considered as important. Mm -hmm. Have you run into that or like, what are your comments to that? So, I mean, I will say this, especially in the plus, in the plus sizes, because of course I went and did my own research ahead of time. Of course I did. And I found that when you could find things that were in your size, they didn't fit properly. Or even if they did fit properly, they were made with cheaper materials um, or they were constructed more cheaply. So even if they were at a price point that you could afford, it didn't last very long. And so it doesn't really contribute to the sustainable, like it's not a particularly sustainable practice. And it basically, gives you this feeling of you don't actually belong here. We don't really want you here. We're just kind of fulfilling this hypothetical need, but we don't really want to see you doing this stuff. Because if we did, we would actually give you gear and clothing that fits you properly and protects you, right? Like it's super important to me that when I go outside, I am wearing clothing that is not only comfortable, but also keeps me safe, right? And it really does become a safety issue if you have gear that doesn't fit you properly. I know of some folks who go hiking in skirts because that's the only thing that will fit. And yet they can only go to certain altitudes or in certain temperatures in a skirt, right? Because it's, it's otherwise not safe. Like they will actually freeze to death <laughs> if, they, if they go too far without wearing the proper clothing. And so I just, I really feel like having the wrong clothing is a physical barrier to entry into enjoying the outdoors and, and participating. So yeah, I, I would say that that there's not always a full consideration of the person who's going to be using this gear and what are they going to do. And I think there's a lot of misconceptions around women and people of size and people of color 
and what they can and want to do, people will just make assumptions around that and be like, oh, well, they don't actually care. And so since they don't actually care, we're not going to care either. We should really be asking people what they want and then giving them what they want as opposed to, well, we think we know what you want, so we'll just give you what we think you need, which is radical. I think it's really bad. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you, you've talked a little bit about your goals, but what are your goals for the remaining of 2022? What are you expecting to see? And then maybe we'll talk about big long-term goals. Yeah, totally. So my biggest goals this year are to not only launch our pants in retail stores. We actually have some retail partners who are eagerly awaiting uh, some pants because I cannot wait for people to have that experience of walking into a store, trying something on, it fits, and walking out having purchased it. Like That's such a privilege that I don't think a lot of people think about. So that's goal number one. Goal number two is we're launching more products uh, this year and preparing for next year already for the next round of products. So like pants were just the beginning, friends. <laughs> and uh, we're, we're gonna be launching our ambassador program. It's called the Trail Team, kind of like a street team, but for the trails, just growing this community as much as I possibly can I'm really excited to bring on people full-time right now. Up until today, I'm the only full-time person at Alpine Parrot, and the rest of my team is part-time or contractors, and I can't wait to bring folks on full-time because imagine if you can see all that we've accomplished with what we had, imagine what we can do with more. Those are kind of the biggest things that I hope to do this year. You know, I'm really interested to see what happens when your pants get into regular stores that people can go into, because, you know, I wonder how many people decided not to do outdoor activities because they could not find the clothing. Absolutely. I could already tell you that those those folks definitely exist. Sure, um, of course. They're especially parents will say things like, I wanted to join my kids, but I couldn't because I just didn't feel comfortable. I didn't yeah. have the clothes to feel to feel like I belonged, you know? And 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 so if there's any good things that happened from the pandemic, one of them was that more people got outside and now they're eager to do more. Like they've they've gotten a taste for it. <laughs> there are people who are like I I got a taste for the outdoors and I want more. I want more, but I can't do it in you know, basic leggings, not to knock the basic legging. I am literally wearing a basic legging right now. As am I. <laughs> but, right. <laughs> but sometimes like you need to use the right tool for the job and a basic legging is not going to serve you in the same way that a proper hiking pant would. All right. So what are the big long-term goals? Uh, the big, the big goals. I mean, honestly, think of your favorite outdoor apparel brand. And whatever they make, I want to make it too. And I want to be in stores all across the country. I want to have my own store. I want to be international. And I'm going to put this out into the world and just in case one of your listeners can help me out with this or you. I want Oprah to wear a pair of these pants. <gasps> Oprah. Because I have seen, I've seen video of her hiking and I'm pretty sure she's in the size range. So just putting that out there, putting that into the universe. 
All right, listeners. <laughs> if anyone knows Oprah, like, let me know. I'm ready. Well, I've, actually, I'm not ready yet, but let's start that conversation. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, or a Kardashian. I, I could do that too, you know, but I think that there's a real opportunity here. And, and I mean, obviously we're, we're getting recognized for what we're doing in, in the best way. And so, you know, step one, pants, step two, who knows, but step three, take over the world. That's, it's right. very simple. It's very, very simple, really. <laughs> so do you have a, a five-year plan? Do you write that stuff down, figure it out, um, that kind of stuff? So I wrote it down at the very beginning and I'm tracking it's my hope is that in five years we will be a multi-million dollar company which is i recognize a very big leap but i come from the tech industry where people literally make something out of nothing like i used to joke i was an alchemist because i could take zeros and ones and turn them into an application <laughs> that you use every day and i promise i have worked on software that you use every single day and so it's a little <laughs> megalomaniacal, but if we don't dream it, how can we ever get there? Right? Right. Well, to take it back to you personally, what are you doing physically these days? You said you ski, so skiing yes. season is here. It is, it is ski season. So I go out, I believe in rest. I really truly believe in rest. And so I actually only work a four day work week. I currently live in Denver and anybody who's from Colorado knows that I-70 is just an absolute nightmare on the weekends. So I go skiing on Wednesdays. That's my big thing that I do right now. I go for like a pretty big hike at least once a month, but I'll be doing even more of that this summer. And let's see, I, I have a Peloton. <laughs> I needed to get one. I, I, it's like the most pandemic-y thing that I think a lot of people did. I didn't do sourdough, but I did do Peloton. Um, <laughs> I got that because I actually found I wasn't moving as much as I wanted to. And that made me very sad. <laughs> There's a, a joke in the outdoor industry where they're like, if you wanna spend more time in the outdoors, don't start a company in the outdoor industry. You'll actually find out that you don't get to spend as much time outside as you want to. Um, and I am finding that that is very true. All of my friends who are in the industry also find that to be very true. Cause you're so busy trying to like get orders figured out and production and talking to employees and, you know, writing emails and all those sorts of things. So yeah, no, I, I needed, I needed to do more stuff and I needed it to be more easily accessible for me. So yeah, yeah, those are, those are the biggest things. I try to spend as much time outside as possible right now. I'm averaging like at least one to two full days a week outside which I think is pretty good. Uh, and then, yeah, otherwise it's me and my husband and our two dogs. Sounds They're good. hilarious. Sounds so. good. Uh, <laughs> one, more, one more question, then I'll let you go. You mentioned that you were really into rest. Do you think that you'll extend that to employees once you start taking on employees? Absolutely, 100%. One of the things that I've learned, so I've worked at a lot of different startups and larger companies, and it's very evident to me that Culture is something that starts at the very beginning. And it's very, it's super easy to start the culture you want to make. And it's really hard to change the culture that, that has already established itself. I've gotten a lot of pushback from industry leaders being like, no, you're a startup. You have to work six, seven days a week. 
Otherwise, what are you even doing here? And I really refute that. And I ask myself, is that true? Or is that something that we believe to be true? And I, I genuinely think that if you give people enough time to rest, they are happier, healthier, and will be better able to thrive and do the best work of their careers, right? Like when you think about how tired you are after working 40 hours a week and you just kind of collapse on the weekend because you just can't do anymore, that's, that's really exhausting and it leads to burnout really quickly. Whereas if you take four days to work and then you know that you only have four days, like you're gonna be really efficient with how you spend your time. And then the extra three days that you have now for your weekend, or if you wanted to split it up, you know, go in the middle of the week or whatever, you just, you're more relaxed. You get to enjoy your time off more and you get to enjoy your time on more. <laughs> um, and I mean, we've been doing this so far and, and I think it's working. Granted, I have a very small sample set, but we're gonna absolutely keep it going as we grow. Well, you've certainly accomplished a lot, so. I'm very efficient. <laughs> I don't know how much more you would have. Believe me, I still collapse at the end of Friday. <laughs> Just like, I'm so tired. And I mean, I am still a founder, so I still, I'll still work on the weekends as needed, right? Like there's no off button for me. I was, I was skiing with a friend of mine the other day and I, she was like, so are you thinking about your company right now? I was like, yes, of course, right now. She's like, how about now? I'm like, yes. <laughs> like there's always, I'm always thinking about my company. I think uh, some people have likened it to having children, right? Like you're always thinking about your kids and like, this is my baby. This is my, my company. I've created it from scratch and I'm always thinking about it. I'm looking around me and seeing people and thinking, could they benefit from something that I can make? How is that brand doing their advertising? And, and oh, what an interesting fabric that I've never seen before, you know? And, and like, it's just, there's always the context of my business. And I don't really think about it as work because the lines are very blurred. But, well, I say that and then every time I have to go into QuickBooks and log all my expenses, that is definitely work and that is not fun. <laughs> yep. <laughs> well, I'm so thankful that we got together. This has been absolutely fantastic. You were wonderful. I can't wait to see your all of your products in stores. So good luck. Thank you. Thank you so much. It was such a pleasure for me as well. Uh, thank you for the fantastic questions. and. This was truly really, really fun. Thank you. Oh, good. For me too. Thanks. <laughs> Talk to you soon. Excellent. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. <laughs> and that wraps up this week's show. Thank you for tuning in. I so appreciate all the time you spend with me and with my guest each week. If you aren't already a newsletter subscriber, check it out. Between episodes, I write a bit about issues in sports and how to watch women's sports or just follow along in other ways. Sign up at hearhersports.com. You can also support the podcast by joining Patreon for less than just a couple energy bars each month at patreon.com slash hearhersports. Or buy all your books from our bookshop page at hearhersports.com slash books. Until next time, bye-bye.
Oprah, honestly, alpineparrot.com. Like, very simple. Just, just come say hey. <laughs> Hi, listeners. We wanted to take a moment to tell you about another podcast from Evergreen Podcasts and Sound Talent Media called Pit Lane Parlay. Pit Lane Parlay is the go-to podcast for IndyCar and motorsports-related news. Each episode, we discuss things like our favorite drivers, news clips from the last week, and generally giving each other a hard time about predictions we've made in the past and or life stories that have come up recently. We really have a lot of fun with it and really enjoy each other's company, and we hope you can come join us too. Join Pit Lane Parlay by following us on your favorite podcast today.